to notice that Evan only started to whine a little bit toward the end. So I don't want to hear no whining at the beginning of the sermon. <laughs> Maybe just a little at the end. Or when it's supposed to end. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles with you, open up. what I do? Oh yeah, uh, two things. One, we have directories available outside. We're just asking that we just hand out one per family. And two, tonight at 6 o'clock, Sunday evening service, I'm going to be sharing on my trip to Israel. Got a lot of pictures and some information about uh, our trip or the trip that we're looking to try to put together for the church. So if you want to come and be a part of that, we want to encourage you to do that. Now, <clears throat> open up to the book of Ephesians. We, we were traveling through the word of God last week. We got six verses. This week, we'll see. But as we looked at those six verses, we went up, we're going to go back over and read the whole section. Remember, as we come to Ephesians chapter 1, we see Paul just breaking out, busting forth in praise for the blessings that he has. And we talked about the fact that we as believers, sometimes we forget to appropriate what we have in Christ. We all remember the old song, right? Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Well, that's what Paul's doing in Ephesians chapter 1. He's counting his blessings. He's, he's talking about the wealth that we have in Christ Jesus. The, the incredible anointing that God has poured out in our life. And we don't want to be like those who spend their entire life living as though they don't have anything. As I was studying, I come across another story of a, of a man who happened to be a relative of someone in England who died with $8 million. And they searched diligently for this relative of his, uh, the only relative that he had who was to inherit $8 million. They found him dead in a doorway at Skid Row. Living life like he had nothing. But really he had everything. We can sometimes find ourselves in the same place where we're going through just the motions. That we are busy about a form of godliness but denying the power. Paul would say of such, turn away. He wants us to not come to the Lord based on religion and tradition. But on a real relationship. To know Him. To know Him as, as He knows us. To draw near unto Him. And so, beginning in verse 4, He breaks out into one long sentence. Paul does that sometimes. Uh, it's a ten verse sentence. And it's called a bracha. It's a song of blessing. Let's read it together. Let's take a look. Verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him... Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will, that we, who first trusted in Christ, should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Paul begins in this bracha just laying out all the vast riches that we can enjoy in Christ Jesus. He's counting our blessings for us. 
But we, as that young man I shared about earlier, may spend our life never appropriating what God has for us. You remember the children of Israel when they came to the land of Israel. Remember what God told them. Wherever you'll put the sole of your foot, I have already given you. But the children of Israel, we see as we study the scriptures, only possessed 10% of what God had. How many of us are are possessing or appropriating only 10% of the blessing that God has for us? How many of us are only walking in 10% of the, the power that God has for us? Because we're caught up maybe in tradition, maybe in religion. And we don't understand the riches that God has poured out on us. So we talked last time about election. Election. Sometimes it, it, it messes people's minds up. Election says that the chosen have been elect by God. That those who are saved have been elect. Let me tell you what the Bible never says. The Bible never says you will not find one verse where the lost are elect. All the Bible talks about is the saved are elect. The Bible also lays out for us in the Gospel of John that as many as received Him, to them, He, God, gave the power to become the sons of God. To as many as did what? Received Him. And when we receive Him, what do we become? The elect, chosen before the foundation of the world. Chosen before the foundation of the world. The beautiful thing is, Scripture lays out for us that God chose us before we were born. What's that mean? That means we didn't do anything to get chose. Or to not get chose. If we receive Him, we are chosen of God. Predestined to become sons of God. Now that word predestined messes again with some people's mind. Let me tell you what you will find in the scripture. You will find that the saved are predestined. You will never find that the lost are predestined. You will see that the saved are predestined. What's that, what's that word mean? That means God keeps us and will finish the work he begun in us. Isn't that comforting? We are predestined to become adopted as sons. To as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become what? The sons of God. God predestined. That means he keeps me. He saved me and he keeps me. That's not good news. It ought to be good news. It ought to be good news because of this. If my salvation depends on me, I'm going to mess it up. If my salvation depends on the finished work of Jesus Christ... I'm good to go. My salvation depends on me. I can only walk perfect for how long, babe? (laughs) She laughed immediately. So apparently it's not very long. (laughs) But because my walk, my salvation depends on the finished work of Jesus Christ, he keeps me. He saves me. He is going to finish the work that he began. Man, that's something to be praising God about. That when I received him, I became his elect, chosen before the foundation of the world, that God always wanted me on his team. And that he's going to make sure that I become in the likeness of his son. So he's going to work in my life and do the things necessary to make me who God wants me to be. And then as we saw at the end of verse 6, he, he has accepted us in the beloved. And we talked last week, what a blessing it is to be accepted. Isn't it? To fit in. This is where I fit in. With Jesus Christ, my Savior. God the Father. Man, they, they love me. They want me. They're going to keep me. I found a home. Paul just can't help himself but to praise and to bless. And that's the first chorus of the song, the chorus of election. But then he comes to the second chorus. Oh, this is even a cooler thing. This is the chorus of redemption. Let's take a look. The chorus of redemption in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. 
Man, what, a, what an incredible concept. In fact, when we look at the word redemption, it's the word apolotrosis. It, it means to be bought, purchased, and set free. It was a word used in Rome when a slave was purchased on the slave block, but rather than entering into slavery, it was just set free. We have been redeemed. It means we've been purchased from something. But how were we redeemed? Were we redeemed by his incredible power? The scripture tells us we were redeemed how? Through his blood. Man, through his blood that was shed for us. This this morning we'll have an opportunity a little later to partake in communion. And one of the things Jesus said of the communion table was this cup is the new covenant or new testament of my blood, which is shed for you for what? The remission of sins. To redeem. Man, redemption is an incredible, powerful word. Powerful word. Folks, we really want to understand what redemption is. Redemption means I'm saved from something to something. I'm saved from a life that was upside down to a life with eternal promise and prospect. A life of blessing. Not always easy, but always good. I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. Man, we have redemption through His blood. The best example of the story of redemption I've ever heard to, to explain what redeemed is all about, and especially in this sense, when Jesus Christ is, is speaking to us, it's this. A, a young boy, a young child, built for himself a, a model boat. You ever seen those sailboats with all the hundred little strings that come down and, and nobody, I lose you? But those things are cool. I'll never build one unless all them strings come plastic and I just put them on. If I have to tie them, it's all over. I can't hardly keep my shoes tied anymore. But they put this sailboat together and he lived up on the Great Lakes. And he'd go out with his dad and he set that boat on its maiden voyage and he he built it. He put it on the water and off it went. And the wind picked up. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the Great Lakes, but the wind blows there as bad as it does in Idaho. Imagine such a thing. And that wind came up and took that sailboat out into the depths. Or a little boy is bummed because I just spent a lot of time building that thing. And off it goes to Never Never Land. Well, he got together with his dad that next weekend and they decided, hey, I got an idea. Let's go into town. We'll see if we can find another model, put another one together. So, the young man said, that sounds great. They went to this toy store. And when they went to this toy store, they looked up on the shelf of the toy store. And there, lo and behold, is the very boat that he built. When a young man came into the store owner and he says, hey, mister, mister, that's my boat. The store owner says, I don't know what you're talking about. I bought that boat. No, mister, you don't understand. You see, I was playing with it on the lake. Wind blew really hard, took it out to sea. And the store owner said, oh, that makes sense because a fisherman brought it to me and I bought it from the fisherman. If you want it, you're going to have to pay me. So the young man looked up at it and thought about it for a moment, talked to his dad, reached into his pocket, pulled out the money that was required and paid for that boat. And as he was walking out of the ship, he, or out of the store, he said of the ship, now you are twice mine, for I made you and I bought you. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. He made us, then we were lost, and he bought us, paying the purchase price so that we could be set free from a life of bondage to sin to a life of freedom in Christ. That's what he's saying as he lays this out for us, as we look at what he has for us here in verse 7. In him, we have this redemption through his blood. And then he begins to talk about what that means in the present. What does that mean right now? What does that mean right here where we are? Well, listen, the next thing, the forgiveness of sins. You ever think about how amazing that is? That we have... The forgiveness of sin. Man, what an incredible thing for us to experience. In fact, a, a guy named Seneca was a, 
was a Roman philosopher. And he had a saying, he had a little saying in, uh, in Latin that he would quote to people. It was, homo non tolerabilis, which means I am a man not to be tolerated. His concept, Seneca's concept was, I'm a sinner and I'm not any good. And I need someone, somehow, some way to reach out and to lift me up. He understood the evil that man does and the fallen nature of man, but he didn't see a way for redemption. And then came Jesus. And he showed us the way. Redeeming us by the blood and bringing unto us the forgiveness of sins. That as far as the east is from the west, right? That's how far he's removed our sin from us. Why did he say east from west? Think about it. They don't ever touch. North and south do. You know, if we're going on a globe up to the North Pole and we went around the top, which way are we going? South. They met. What if I go east? How long can I go east? Forever. How long can I go west? Forever. As far as the east, as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed our transgression from us. The forgiveness of sins. In Isaiah 44, he says this. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. What do we experience in redemption right now? We experience the forgiveness of sins. Think about what that meant for Paul. Think about how that was for him. Remember we talked about last week, Paul had spent a period of his life thinking he was doing God's work. And he was slaughtering believers and taking them to prison. And all these things he did, he did in the name of God. Until one day, he came face to face with God and God said, what are you doing? What's that like? What's it like to think you're doing what God wants you to do and to find out in a face to face meeting with God, you're not? What do you expect from him? What do you expect that God will do? Maybe he expected immediate judgment to fall upon him. Maybe he expected to die. What did he experience? Redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness. It's a very powerful thing. I don't know if if any of us can really understand it, except for those of us who have received it. Forgiveness is a very powerful thing. What is it that Jesus said about forgiveness? If you want to be forgiven, what? Forgive. If you want to be forgiven, forgive. He doesn't give us the option. If you want to be forgiven, we must come to a place where we too can forgive. So what do we have through redemption? The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness that God pours out upon our life. 1 John 1, nine tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He makes us clean. Is anybody here clean without Jesus Christ? That's good, because if you raise your hand, then you're a liar and you're not clean. <clears throat> we need the forgiveness of sins. And then he goes on to tell us, what else do we have right now? Right now, we have an overflowing of his grace. Look what he says. <clears throat> the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Which of us earned forgiveness from God? That we did something and God said, oh, you're so wonderful. Let me give you this. No, man, it was according to the riches of his grace. Listen, in the Greek, I just want you to understand this phrase, according to the riches of his grace. What that means is that he has so much grace, it'll never run out. You can never exhaust the grace that God has. Paul would also say in Romans, where sin abounds, what happens? Grace superabounds. 
Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Whatever we need to experience the forgiveness and redemption for a life to be turned around and become a new creation, created in Christ Jesus, we find in Him. For in Jesus Christ is everything we need. Everything we need. In Him we have forgiveness of sins, the overflowing of God's grace, the abundance of His grace, And then he goes on in verse 8, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. The next thing we see right now that we have as a result of redemption is wisdom and prudence. Wisdom and prudence. He gives unto us wisdom and prudence. When we look at wisdom in the the Greek, it's a word sophia. Maybe you've heard that before, like philosophia or any of those things that deal with that study. They deal with Wisdom. Sophia is wisdom. What's he talk about? It's the knowledge, <coughs> excuse me, it's the knowledge that sees into the heart of things. It's the knowledge that sees into the heart of things. And then the prudence, prudence in the, in the Greek means to us the knowledge that leads to right action. So he gives us knowledge that can see the heart of things and understanding to do the right thing with what he's shown us. This is what he poured out on us. Listen, we have forgiveness. We have the abundance of his grace. And he made to abound toward us all wisdom and prudence to be able to see into the heart of things. It's called discernment. And to know what to do with that. We have that in redemption. Before we didn't know what to do, where to go. We didn't know how to discern God's will. We didn't know what God wants from our life. But when we're saved, we've been redeemed. I'm a new creation. He saved me from what I was and made me something new. I'm forgiven. I got the grace of God flowing in my life. And now I can have eyes to see. Eyes to see what he's telling me, where he's directed me, and when I should go, what I should do. The scripture lays out for us that we have that wisdom and that prudence, according to the word, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. To make known to us the mystery of his will. Listen, think about it. Anybody ever wondered, I wonder what God's will for me right now is? You want to know how easy God's will is to discern? There's two mistakes we make when we consider God's will. One, that it's a mystery that we can't know. The word mystery means something that must be revealed by the Lord for us to understand it. That's what the word mystery, mysterion in the Greek. Something that God reveals. Something that was hidden in times past but has been revealed by the Lord. The mystery of his will. The other thing is we think God doesn't want us to know. We think that God is hiding it and it's revealed to us little by little. Now sometimes, just like the nation of Israel, God said to the nation of Israel when they entered into the promised land, I'm going to give you this land little by little. Why did he say that? Because that's how they could handle it. A little at a time. If God told them what they were going to face 10 years down the line, they'd be ready to quit. Oh, we could never do that. So the Lord says, little by little, step by step, piece by piece, I'll give it to you. But the Lord showed them and directed them in the direction that he would have them go. We want to walk in that wisdom and prudence, the ability to see to the heart of things, to understand the right actions that God's calling us to, and to know the mystery of his will. You ready? It's so hard. You can always refer back to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, anytime you want. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And what's he say he'll do? He will make your path straight, direct your steps. Depending on the version you have, the point is, what will he do? Reveal to you his will. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. How many times have we said this very phrase? But Lord, I don't understand. Perfect. That's okay. Because God says not to lean into your own understanding. But in everything you do, acknowledge Him. 
Lord, guide me. Lord, show me what to do. God, help me understand where I need to be. And he will guide your steps. You will understand the mystery of his will. As the Lord reveals it to you through wisdom and prudence. We have that in redemption. Without Jesus Christ in our life, how do we know what to do? How do we know where to go? We don't have that except when we've been born again, redeemed from an old life to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we experience forgiveness of sins, the abundance of the grace of God and wisdom and prudence to know what's right and to know what to do about it and an understanding of the mystery of God's will. That's what we have in redemption. In redemption. Man, Paul is blown away by what God's done for him. But how many of us will take the time to sit down and really think and appropriate unto our lives what God has given already? We get so focused on the winds and the storm that blow before us right now, right? Whatever the next trial is. I do the same thing. I look at my calendar and I can only focus on that next event. And if there's another event between now and then, I can't think about that one until this one's done. Kathy's not that way. She thinks about every event at the same time. (laughs) I would be very confused. She, however, seems to function just fine that way. And occasionally... We have our little struggles because she can see every event at once and I need to stay focused on one at a time. The good news is, as we, if we will be willing to just sit down and think, what has God given? What do I have in Christ? Instead of what don't I have? Isn't that our heart most of the time? Oh, uh, uh, Eeyore. A lot of people give me Eeyores. I don't know why. It has been said that I have occasionally an Eeyore-like attitude at life. I have an amazing, uncanny ability to see the negative. (laughs) Rather than the positive all the time. It's funny because we're sitting in Israel's beautiful day 70 degrees man we're sitting there and the sun is shining i'm in the holy land over on my right i can see in the distance the golgotha and the the place of the skull and the empty tomb where christ was risen and to my left i see the mount of olives where jesus stood and where he entered into the city and as we're sitting there we're having coffee and and pastor gerald he looks over at me he goes man jackie it's good for us to be here. Isn't this incredible? Isn't this beautiful? Yeah, take a sip of my coffee. I hope nobody blows us up while we're sitting here. <laughs> All of a sudden, Pastor Gerald just looks at me sad. <laughs> How could you mess up my perfect little world like that? I realize that that is within me. And understanding that that's within me, apparently Kathy, I'm sorry, it's confession time, babe. (laughs) And so because that's in me, I need to make a concerted effort to understand the beauty that God's given I can get focused only on the next thing, whatever the next thing is, and and how that affects me. And I I forget the beauty of, that I have, that God chose me from the foundation of the world. That He's going to keep me, predestined me to become what He said I will be. That He's going to make sure it happens. That He accepts me in His family. That He's redeemed me from a lost life going nowhere to a new life that has meaning and understanding. And in that new life, He's forgiven me of all my sins. He's heaped upon me blessing of His grace that will never run out. I can never exhaust the grace of God. He's given me wisdom and understanding for what to do and how to understand His will and where to go. We need to sit down 
and think about it and appropriate what God has given us if we are going to understand totally what it means that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not the little sourpuss look on my face. The joy of the Lord. That's my strength. The joy is found in Him and understanding what He's done for us. Well, the song goes on. He continues to sing, and he begins in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Listen, this is the future. We we just talked about what we have in the present, forgiveness, grace, the, the understanding, wisdom. Now he says, and here's what redemption means for the future. That everything's going to be redeemed. Do you understand that? You ever sat down and wondered the whys? Why did this person have to suffer? Why did this family have to go through this difficult thing? Why this? Why that? Why the other? The Bible says our hope for redemption for the future is that all things. What does all things mean? All things. Everything. Amazing, huh? You're practically Greek scholars right now. (laughs) All things, everything is going to be brought under the headship of Christ. Everything. We are going to be redeemed. Creation is going to be redeemed. Paul would write in Romans that all of creation groans for waiting for when the sons of God will be revealed. That's you and me. When the final redemption takes place, when we see Jesus face to face, and the battle is over, and the, and the war has been won, and the earth is going to be re, redone, it's going, to, it's going to be the curse stripped away from it, and the curse stripped away from you and I. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 21, See, I make all things new. In that phrase, I find incredible hope. What do I tell that that young man who comes to me and says, you know, for the past 15 years of my life, I, I had struggled in an abusive, molesting situation with a father or uncle or whomever. And my whole life has been twisted and turned around. And, and I, I basically, I, I, I don't even know why I haven't committed suicide yet. And I don't understand why God let me go through this. Do you know the answer? Do you know why God from heaven, when something like that is going on, doesn't send the, His power from on high and obliterate the person that's doing the hurting? I don't have all those answers. You know what I do tell them? One day, Jesus Christ is going to make all things new. The restitution of all things. Whatever you've lost in Adam, you will have returned a hundredfold in Christ. In this life, we don't have a lot. But the spiritual blessings that Paul's speaking about teach us that there is coming a day of redemption when all things will be placed under the headship of Christ. And that will never happen again. There will never be, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, God will wipe away every tear and every sorrow. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more pain. And Jesus says, see, I make all things new man what a glorious day that that's why i say oh lord jesus come quickly come quickly and turn all these wrongs into rights come quickly and redeem that little life that's been messed up by sin in this world but he is the only hope to make it right the only hope Without Christ and the hope of the redemption that is to come, what does he have? Even should that young man arm himself, go to the place where this occurred, and slaughter the man who, who perpetrated this wrong against him, does that redeem his life? Does it change him? Does it take away what occurred? 
But it doesn't make any difference. The only thing that can make it right is Jesus Christ. And the redemption that we see coming. That's why Revelation ends with the phrase, Even so, come Lord Jesus. Come. Make it right. Come. That's our heart's cry. And that's what we see taking place here. At the dispensation of the fullness of time. When the right time has come, God will return. Jesus Christ, the scripture lays out for us very clearly, is going to call his church. The first step in that, we see the imminent return of Christ. That Jesus Christ will call his church home. And then he will return together with his church. Revelation chapter 19. And he will set everything right. That's the ultimate redemption. And Paul says in light of that, where else do you have hope that there's going to be an ultimate redemption? Nowhere. But in Christ Jesus, we see that. We have that hope. He goes on. In verse 11, he says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his word, or of his will. Listen what he says here. He's turned back to predestination. <clears throat> Excuse me. Every time we talk about predestination, we're talking about the saved. Right? The believers. That's what he's talking about. He says to them, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He says, so God will keep you. Paul would say it like this. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded he will keep me to that day. He will keep me unto that day of ultimate redemption. That ultimate redemption as we see him pour out that perfect work changing us from bondage to sin to ultimately being set free in Christ utterly and completely. Now we have a down payment. Then it will be complete. And it, we are predestined to that purpose. That means you don't lose it. Jesus said, I thank you, Lord, that none of those whom you have given me I have lost. In Revelation, we see the 144,000 Uh, A sealed with the seal of God, sent out 144,000, just in case you're wondering, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, sent out to tell the truth that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one who was to come into the world and forgive the world of sin. They're going to spend their time preaching the good news. When we see the end of their time, the end of the 144,000, we see Jesus standing together with them. You know how many he has? Not 139,000, not 143,000. Any guesses? 144. He has as many as he started with. Not one was lost. Not one. Being predestined, God keeps us. It's a work that God does. It's a work that he does for us. He goes on now in verse 11, and he's going to do something a little tricky here. Hold on tight. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Now in this section, this we, Paul is referring to the nation of Israel. He's saying we Jews. Listen. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ, who were the first believers? They were Jews. We who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted. Who's the you? The Gentiles. So he says, in him you also trusted. How did that work? How is it that salvation works? He is entering into now the final chorus. The chorus of salvation. And he tells us right here how salvation works. Look at it. In him you also trusted. After what? First you hear the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. And then what? In whom you have believed. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
And then you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. How are we saved? First, we hear. Then, we believe. Then we discover that the beginning of this song is true. God chose us from the foundation of the world. But I had responsibility to receive the truth of the word. If I don't receive, that verse doesn't happen. And there is no salvation. In John, the writer of the Gospel of John, John says to us, To as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become sons of God. It's not the other way around. To as many as received, believed, put their weight into, is what the word means, put their trust in Christ. They received the word, they put their trust in him, and they were saved. So first we see it was the Jews <coughs> receiving salvation. Then we see the Gentiles getting saved. And then if you look down in verse 14, who is the guarantee of, what's the word? Our inheritance. One of the mysteries of the will of God was that Jew and Gentile would be gathered together in one in Christ Jesus. For there is now therefore neither Sometimes there's just no way to get that back, huh? There is neither barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, Jew, Gentile, man or woman. All are one in Christ. All made one. At one time, what is it that sin does? Sin separates. What does Christ do? He brings it all together. All the parts, all the separation, he unites it. How? In Christ. It's united in him. What does it mean to be saved? What is this chorus of salvation? It is the importance of what it is to be in Christ. In him, we have every spiritual blessing. In the heavenlies. In Christ, we're seated in the heavenlies. In Christ, we have everything that we need. In Christ is what salvation is. In Christ is a better title than Christian. Anybody can say they're a Christian. Some people think if you're born in the United States, it makes you a Christian. Or if you have the concept of a democratic form of government, you're a Christian. But being in Christ is something completely different, isn't it? Being found in Him. In Christ. Remember I gave you the example of the brownie. Everybody remember the brownie story? You know what a brownie looks like, right? But when that brownie's in me, what's it look like? It looks like this. Before I'm in Christ... I look like that brownie, but when I'm in Christ, I should look like him. I should bear resemblance to he who has saved me, who has redeemed me, has forgiven me, poured out his grace upon me, given me wisdom and understanding to understand the knowledge of his will, to experience all that I can experience in salvation, being found in Christ Jesus That I put my trust in him when I heard the word of the truth of the gospel. And in whom also I have believed. And I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know what that idea of being sealed is? In the the scripture it's laid out for us like this. In in Roman times, it showed two things. Eh, Maybe three. One of those being ownership. I own you. That's what being sealed means. I own that. So I put my stamp on that. That's my stamp. It's mine. Well, the scripture says that God has placed his seal upon you in the Holy Spirit. It shows <coughs> ownership. That we belong to him. That we belong to Almighty God. But it's not just that that shows ownership. It also shows that a transaction has been completed. When a transaction's been completed, what do we do? We put our seal on it. What's been completed? 
The work of salvation is done. It is finished. The Holy Spirit comes within the life of the believer and His Spirit confirms with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's a finished transaction. It's ownership. But it's more than that. It's also protection. You see, when a Roman guy would put his stamp on a crate and that crate would be shipped somewhere, everybody knew that the protection from that stamp went with that box. If you mess with that box, you're messing with the fellow who owns the seal. Who owns the seal for us? Almighty God. Can people mess with us? Sure. But who are they messing with? God's kids. God's kids. It speaks of security and protection. But then, one more thing. It speaks of authenticity. We know we are saved because the Spirit of God is upon us. We know that we are His because God's Spirit rests within us. Because of the seal of God, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are His under His protection until the day of redemption. And He knows how to keep us. So we trust Him. But the Scripture goes on in verse 14 to say, who is also the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. By the way, purchased possession is you and me. The redemption is that which we look forward to. The ultimate redemption when we see Jesus Christ face to face. But until that time you have a guarantee, a down payment, a promise of future benefit. What little bit we experience of the Holy Spirit here on earth is a fraction of what He has waiting for us. Just a fraction of what God wants to pour out Upon our lives. The Bible lays out for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. As it is written, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has pre- prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For his spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. We know we have a promise, a guarantee coming events that God has laid out in our life. But listen, the Greek word can also mean an engagement ring. For those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ become like to Him as a bride. Now I want you to think about how you would care for your bride. The things that you would do for your bride. And then I... I'm telling you, don't you dare make God worse than you. He is able to care for His bride, to love His bride, to provide for His bride better than you and I think we can do it. He is able to do exceedingly above and beyond what we can even imagine. We look forward to that purchased possession, to the praise of His glory. Paul <clears throat> closes out the song that he's singing. He's, he's so blown away by everything that God's given him. But what he, I think, wants us to understand is the mystery of what it means to be found in Christ Jesus. What is that all about? What is it that he's laying out for us? One of the books that I, uh, that I like to read, especially in regard <clears throat> to to um, the book of Ephesians is, has in it a story on Malcolm Muggridge. Let me share it with you. Shortly after Malcolm Muggridge became a Christian, he delivered a sermon in Queen's Cross Church in Aberdeen, Sunday, May 26, 1968, in which he made this confession. I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily enough qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the inland revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy trendy diversions. And that's pleasure. 
It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heated for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet I say to you and I beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million. Add them all together and they are nothing, less than nothing, a positive impediment measured against one draught of the living water that Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. What, I ask myself, does life hold? What is there in the works of time, in the past, now, and to come, which could possibly be put in the balance against the refreshment of drinking that water? He is everything we need. Amen? We have an opportunity this morning to partake of the, of the Lord's Supper. So as the worship team comes up and, and prepares for worship, let's prepare our hearts. Let's prepare our hearts as we have had <coughs> excuse me, this opportunity to stop and think about what it is that God has given us. The bracha, the blessing that He has poured out upon us. As we consider that, and as we have opportunity uh, to, to pass out to you the, the, the parts of the Lord's Supper, I'm going to invite you to do two things. One, count your blessings. Two, as you count them, allow the blessings, the things that God has done in your life, to erupt into praise. Because everything that we have is, is a result of what He has given unto us. And as we pass these out, I just ask you to hold on to them, and we'll partake of them together. Guys, let's go ahead and pass out the cup together with the, the bread today. And as we praise, I invite you to focus on that, what the Lord has shown us, what God has for us. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we give you this time. We seek to honor you as we come before you at your table. The bread representing your body broken for me. The blood, your blood shed for the remission of sin that I could be redeemed, forgiven, set free. That I could receive all these promises of God. Father, give me eyes to see what you have done for me right now. In Jesus' name. Amen.